Hello and welcome to episode number 467 of Holy Crap It's Sports, a beautiful sunny day at the Sandy Springs Podcast Center in Laundromat. I'm your host Pete Davis here for the next hour or so to give you all the lowdown, what's going on in the world of sports, the from the sublime to the humorous. Let's get right to it there. It's going to be like 88 today. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. May I go over to Morgan Falls today and get a little kayaking in. Or just watch people do it. Anyway, uh, if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter, uh, Pete Davis One. If you want to write me a letter, Pete Davis One at Yahoo.com. If you like a t shirt, farmhouseprintingco.com. Uh, all kinds of good t shirts, you know, drink up Shriner and all that stuff, camera show t shirts, whatever you need, farmhouseprintingco.com. They'll print anything on anything, basically. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, if you'd like to be a patron of the show, if you think it's a great show and you'd like to keep it going. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, that's Patreon.com, and look up Holy Crap at Sports. Just a cheeseburger a month is all we ask. Headlines for Monday, July 25th of 2022. The Braves win another series but lose a key player, and Paul Bird needs a new tailor. More ridiculous Canadian rules about the failed clot shot. Hall of Fame ceremonies in Cooperstown. Are you on Team Bumgarner or Team Clown Nose? Former Braves closer Al Roboski makes a faux pas involving a porn star. Uh, faux pas, porn star. Very similar words. Interim MLB Commission Rob Manfred uh, gives in to starving minor leaguers' demands. Yes, he's completely backed up. Uh, let's see. Prayers up for former Alabama receiver John Mechie III. It's Monday. Must mean another big recruit for Georgia. I don't think I've ever been this excited for Shark Week. Either that or my life has reached a nadir. And oh darn, we've been passed over for an XFL team again here in Atlanta. And NASCAR disqualifies a winner for the first time in 62 years? Uh, Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, birthdays you share with these infamous athletes. Let's get started right now, right here. Uh, Braves lose the finale of the Interleague Series with the Angels 9-1 in Truist Park. Yet as the great Bobby Cox says, win every series, and that's what they did, two games out of three. The Mets staved off second place by beating the Padres, so their lead is a one and a half games over Atlanta. But the Bravos lose Adam Duvall for the rest of the season. He's having surgery on his left wrist, injured early in Saturday's win when he crashed into the wall, chasing a fly ball off the bat of Shohei Otani. Now, I believe it's only sporting that the Halos now trade Shohei to Atlanta to make up for this loss of face. Ian Anderson got pounded yesterday. He remains the weak link in this very good rotation. Now, it's off to Philadelphia. The Phillies still in the hunt for a wild card. It's Max Freed Day starting tonight, Monday. The Duvall injury reminds me again why I wanted the Braves to keep Jorge Soler. Of the four guys from last year, Soler, Duvall, Rosario, and Jock Peterson, I preferred Soler. But for various reasons, they went another way, and I can see their reasons. Soler has been hurt uh, for a while, too, this season. So, yeah, you know, he was starting off good. Uh, Rosario's struggles show a need to make a move. It also means Michael Harris is here to stay, which he probably was anyway. Mike Ford was called up, uh, recalled, I should say, but he's not the answer. I don't think Mike Ford's the answer. No, no, no. Uh, Braves broadcaster Paul Bird of Bally Sports South was seen Saturday night in a tidy whitey, and thank goodness it was a tight white shirt, not underpants. He was in the booth with Chip Carey and Brian Jordan as they interviewed the chief of the Eastern Band of Cherokees, who or whom the Braves were honoring that day. I say chief, he's probably the president. Paul was seen sporting a size extra medium blouse, which only Jeff Vancouver can pull off these days, or put on. During the eighth inning, Bird informed the audience what led him to end up on TV wearing a poorly fitting shirt. 
Quote, in broadcasting, a lot of times when you make a mistake, the rule is you don't draw attention to it. But sometimes it's so bad, BJ, Brian Jordan, that you have to address it. Such is the case with my shirt that I got from Untuck It. BJ told me that I only needed a large. So I got it in the mail, put it on a hanger, and I came over to the park today, and this is the result. It's not easy to broadcast in a straight jacket is all I'm saying, end quote. Lesson learned. Always try something on before wearing it for the first time. And always wash it. You don't know where that shirt's been. Of the Untuck It people... If they have any sense, they'll send them another slightly larger shirt. And another uh, thing you should pay attention to, never take sartorial advice from Brian Jordan. What are we drinking today? We're drinking a fine rye whiskey, old overhaul. Let's get rid to it. It's Monday. Let's start. Speaking of the frustrating fills, outfielder Nick Cast- Castellanos, having the worst year of his career, was asked by a Philly sports writer if he heard the boos from the fans after he went 0 for 4. Nick responded sarcastically, no, I lost my hearing. He then called it a stupid question, which in all fairness, it kind of was. The scribe wouldn't back down and kept asking it and defending the question before being hustled away by a member of the Phillies' Praetorian Guard. It was Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia, probably a TV guy. Uh, Castellanos' numbers have dipped significantly this season. He's hitting just 245 with eight homers and a 657 OPS, all on pace for at or near career lows. Castellanos has four years remaining on his contract, so he isn't going anywhere anytime soon unless they just cut his ass. You know, he's a good player. I just think some people don't like Philadelphia. Like uh, me, for instance. Uh, During David Ortiz's speech at the Hall of Fame uh, Sunday, he took care to mention all of his managers in Boston over the years, from Grady Little to John Farrell to Terry Francona. But there was one notable exception, Bobby Valentine. Could have sworn I saw Bobby sitting in the front row sporting a new mustache and sunglasses. Or maybe that was Groucho. More on the Hall of Fame coming up very shortly. And more BS from the fascist Trudeau regime controlling once freedom-loving Canada. The Cardinals will be without two of their all-stars, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, for their two-game series in Toronto because both men refused to take the non-working clot shot. Catcher Austin Romine is also out for the same reason. The Obergruppenfuhrers in Ottawa demand you have not one but two China virus shots to enter the country. I wonder who's getting the kickback from Big Pharma over that. Uh, The Canadian government can eat a bag of dictators. Uh, Nationals outfitter Victor Robles was seen sporting a little red clown nose in the dugout Sunday, a day after Arizona pitcher Madison Bumgarner called him a clown for briefly admiring his eighth-inning homer in Washington's loss. Where does one find a clown nose that fast? It was my first question. Does Amazon get it to you in like 24 hours? Nats manager Martinez wasn't thrilled with Robles' lighthearted jab after the win uh, Sunday for Washington. said, I didn't see it. I heard about it. I'm going to talk to him. That's not who we are. It happened. It's done. I don't want to see that kind of stuff. The incident started Saturday when Bumgarner took exception to Robles, admiring a solo shot that brought the Nationals to 7-2. to two. Clown, Bumgarner said. No shame. It's 7-1. to one. You hit your third homer of the year, and you act like Barry Bonds breaking a record. Clean it up. I don't care about giving up the run. Hell, we won 7-2, to two, whatever it was. It's frustrating. I'm the old grumpy guy, I know, but that type of stuff didn't used to happen. You know, I'm kind of on Team Bumgarner a little bit, but I'm also on Team Clown Nose because that right there is comedy gold. Uh, you got to look it up. It's funny as hell. He's just little bitty red nose, a uh, uh, little ball at the end of his nose. Pretty damn funny. Former Braves and Cardinals closer Al Roboski, the mad Hungarian, 
confused Ron Burgundy with Ron Jeremy during a TV show about the Cardinals. Who among us hasn't? Here it is in all its glory. Let me find it for you. As soon as I turn off all the sound, then I have to turn it right back on. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just argue with me, you stupid phone. You're on the trash heap coming soon. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, here we go. Let me turn up the sound here. Let me, da, 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 da. I swear I'm getting to it. Come on. All right, here we go. Here we go. Come on. He dresses up with another member of the uh, Anchorman movie every. Well, that's what I was year. thinking. You know, right. you know, wasn't it the? Uh, who was it that wore the cowboy hat with Ron Jeremy? Uh, well, <laughs> well, I think that Michaelis has interesting outfits throughout the season. Right, he's always showing up wearing something fun. Ron Burgundy. That's right. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> uh, Roboski couldn't tell why she was laughing at him at first and uh, she knew he'd made a mistake and he's looking at her like he's going to rip her head off during the commercial it's pretty damn funny anyway let me turn the sound down again all right here we go uh check it out it's pretty darn funny uh let's see that's the longer short of it by the way of the Ron Jeremy story uh, the Onion is reporting in response to growing unrest among the players regarding their salaries, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford has extended an olive branch to the minor leaguers by letting them run the bases in an MLB stadium after the game. We want the players across our farm systems to know we support their efforts to ensure they're fairly compensated, which is why we're offering them a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to circle the infield after a real Major League Baseball game. Uh, Manfred invited all minor leaguers to attend an upcoming White Sox home game and stay after the run around the field. This is our way of showing our appreciation for these guys and all they do for the game. We're absolutely committed to giving our minor league players the night of their lives with discount tickets in the upper deck of Guaranteed Rate Field and a meet and greet with White Sox mascot South Paul. I can think of no better way to give back to our minor league player community than by helping them get Sox backup catcher Sebi Zavala's autograph and then treating them to a first-class fireworks display. Manfred revealed that MLB was countering a salary-related class action lawsuit filed by current and former minor leaguers with an offer to give the first 20 players who withdrew from the suit a free Miami Marlins bucket hat. Do not underestimate the power of a bucket hat. It reminds me... Of the time me and my the late great uh, not Ron Jeremy but Jeremy Ferguson drove up to Chicago to see a Braves Cubs series. It was 1997, and they handed out floppy hats, but they ran out of floppy hats. And I'm not kidding. The entire four game series, all they yelled in between screaming at each other, left field sucks, right field blows. The entire bleachers, every time some, there was a lull in the action, somebody would yell out, where is my effing floppy hat? And it would start again. And, and all they would do for an inning is scream that. It was funny. I tell you, if you go to Wrigley, you've got to sit in the bleachers. You've got to sit in the bleachers. It is, it is an amazing baseball experience. College football news now. More bad news for the former Bama receiver John Mechie III. The Texans rookie announced Sunday he has been diagnosed with a form of leukemia and will not probably play this season. said, recently I was diagnosed with APL, which is acute promyeloc... I can't even pronounce that second word. Uh, leukemia, the most curable form, thank God. I am currently receiving great medical care, am in good spirits, and I expect to make a recovery at a later point. As a result of this diagnosis, I likely will not be playing football this season. 
I will likely not. My main focus will be on my health and recovery. Thank you in advance for your support and well wishes. I cannot wait to come back stronger than ever. God bless. The Texans traded up in the second round, sending three picks to the Browns to get Mechie 44th overall. He had 96 catches for over 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns last season for Bama before tearing his ACL in the SEC championship game in December against Georgia. Uh, he expects to, expected to be ready for training camp, but looks like it's going to be next year training camp, and uh, prayers out to him. Uh, Joanel Aguero's commitment to Georgia on Saturday boiled down to one simple reason – They've been trying to get me for a while, he told ESPN. I know they're going to develop me the best, so I know what they're saying is true. Aguero, a six foot, 195-pound safety from Danvers, Massachusetts, is ranked number 21 in the 2023 ESPN 300. He's the Bulldogs' 13th uh, 300 prospect and part of Georgia's number six ranked class for next year. He joins cornerback A.J. Harris at number 20 and linebacker Troy Bowles at 26 as the highly regarded prospects who Coach Kirby Smart will bring in to strengthen the defense. Meanwhile, Keith Farner of Saturday Down South has a good uh, story. As the name, image, and likeness continues to evolve, Bama has stepped into the possible next level of this ever-changing aspect of college athletics. Alabama will partner with Fanatics and open a team store within Bryant-Denny Stadium called The Authentic. It will feature co-branded player merchandise such as customized Nike jerseys, game-used autographed memorabilia, and trading cards of college football players. <clears throat> Show of hands, who thought you'd see this when you grew up in the 60s and 70s? Unbelievable. These are different times, are they not? Uh, Shark Week. Let's get to Shark Week. It is kind of a sports thing. Uh, The much-ballyhooed Shark Week on the Discovery Channel began last night. If you don't know what Shark Week is, it's a continuous loop of overeducated idiots getting off a perfectly good boat and diving down into the very mouth of a bunch of frenzied, blood-crazed sharks. Hence the name Shark Week. Despite my pleas, no one ever seems to actually get eaten by one of these beasts on camera. The Discovery people are really missing the boat. I mean, Love Island, that British ITV show, is averaging one suicide every other year. The least Discovery could do is have one of the daredevils lose an arm or a leg for the benefit of the greater American viewing public. I'm just saying. The weird thing is, my whole life I've said I've never get into one of those flimsy shark cages But I was watching it last night. You know what? I think I just might. And another thing, why are they still using those aluminum death traps they've had since the 70s? Since Remember Richard Dreyfuss getting in that thing and Jaws? Hmm. It didn't last very long, did it? Those cage bars have the tensile strength of candy canes. You can just see the great whites salivating as they lunge for the creamy nougat center of those cages. Ever hear of titanium? Adamantium? And every damn time the sharks go for the flotation devices located outside of the cage. Here's a suggestion. Put the airbags inside the cages where the sharks can't get to them. Uh, By the way, when they bite them and take the air out, it sends the cage and the divers plummeting to the briny depths. Now, I'm no oceanographer from Woods Hole or Scripps or anywhere else, but I can see that design flaw from the safety of my briny couch. I'm giving Discovery Channel one more week to give me a human sacrifice on camera to let the sharks get in just one win. Just one marine biologist, or at least one of Stephen, uh, Steve Irwin's up with people kids. Crikey! If the scientists balk about this, then they can go back to tagging sluggish manatees in the safety of the Crystal River. But at least, at least, let the alligators get a crack at the humans as they do it. That's one manatee camera that'll get a view or two. By the way, uh, the Homosasa Springs Manatee Wildlife and Rescue Center down there, it's not the exact name, but it's close. They have the best um, 
very inexpensive calendars, which I get every year. It's a great calendar, and uh, everyone needs a calendar. And uh, that, it really helps out. The Homosassa Springs, and by the way, it's located about an hour north of Tampa. If you're ever down there, it's a bit of old Florida. It's been a few years since I was there, but they got all kinds. They got the manatees. You can go under, under the water and look at the manatees while you stay dry. The manatees come up and look at you while they stay wet. Uh, they got a, a hippopotamus there. Don't get behind it. Believe me, you'll thank me later. Do not get behind the hippo. And frankly, don't get in front of it either, to tell you the truth. Have you seen their mouths? Uh, they got snakes. They got all kinds of stuff at the Homosassa Springs uh, Manatee Center. And it's really cool. You pull off the road, and then you wait, and they come up with one of those banana boat type things. Just kidding. It's kind of like a <clears throat> something you get on the jungle river cruise. And you get on the boat, and that takes you over to the wildlife center. It's really like old Florida. And they got little old motels around there that's that – we stayed at one next to something called Monkey Island, where literally it was an island full of monkeys. And I think they had to get rid of that. I think the state finally cracked down on Monkey Island because a few of them were escaping. But anyway, this, there's a motel down there. It's really cool. In order to eat dinner, the only place to eat dinner around there, there's a huge restaurant across the river. And you can see it every night, people over there having a good time. And basically, it's kind of like Rays on the River. And you get on a boat, and they take you over to the uh, restaurant. It's, at least it used to be. Like I said, it's been a few years. And, and here's how I know it's a great place. The second time I took a girlfriend over there, it was a different girlfriend, she was angry with me because I was taking her to a place that I had taken another girlfriend. And I admitted it. And I said, believe me, you're not even going to think about that <clears throat> by the time we get through with this. And she, she said that when we were leaving. She goes, I really love that place. You were right. I don't care that you brought someone else here. I'm glad you brought me here. That's how cool the Homosassa Springs is. Now, they're not paying me to say this, so I'll just keep moving. Uh, back to the Hall of Fame ceremonies. Anthony Castro Vince of MLB.com, a great article on this. As the threat of thunderstorms cut the ceremony in Cooperstown a little shorter, all the great who are still alive got to speak. David Ortiz, twins Tony Oliva and Jim Cott, they're not actual twins, but they played for the twins. The late Bud Fowler, Gil Hodges, Minnie Minoso, I'm sorry, Menoso, they've changed the uh, phrasing, and Buck O'Neill, the pronunciation, I should say. All my life it's Minnie Minoso, now it's Minnie Menoso. Ortiz attracted a big crowd, and there was some irony in Ortiz getting his plaque bearing the Red Sox logo, and what was also a big day for the Twinkies, who famously released him just before his big breakout in Boston. Cott and Oliva were depicted on their plaques wearing Minnesota's cap. This was a long-awaited honor for the 83-year-old Cott. The conception of length suits a reliable lefty who pitched in 25 seasons over four decades from 1959 to 83. Though Cott was a member of the 1982 World Series champion Cardinals, his best years came with the Senators-slash-Twins, for whom he debuted and towed the rubber for 15 years. 625 games started, ranked 17th all-time. His 4,530 and one-third innings ranked 25th. A longtime broadcaster with the MLB Network now, Cott is no stranger to public speaking. He was adept at telling the story of his baseball life from attending his first game, a Red Sox-Tigers doubleheader at Briggs Stadium in 1946, to winning it all. He specifically cited his experience in the Class C League in Missoula, Montana, under player manager, that's right, player manager Jack McKeon, who was in attendance. Imagine that. That guy's got to be 100 years old. Former Marlins and Padres uh, GM and skipper and all kinds of stuff and bud fowler you may not know who bud fowler is cooperstown is known incorrectly but enduringly as the birthplace of baseball 
and yet Fowler, who was born John W. Jackson, is actually the first Hall of Fame inductee who hails from Cooperstown. He's believed to have been the first black player to integrate white pro leagues, debuted in the International Association in 1878. Hall of Famer Dave Winfield uh, spoke on behalf of the late Fowler, who passed away in 1913. Winfield visited Fowler's gravesite on his way into Cooperstown to pay homage, and with his booming voice gave the crowd a worthwhile lesson about Fowler's place in American history. Minnie Mignoso, 13-time All-Star, member of the Go-Go White Sox in the 50s and 60s, had a career that touched five decades from his 1947 debut in the Negro Leagues to his 49 debut in the American League to his 1980 activation at age 54 as a pinch hitter for two games. Uh, he is remembered as the Latino answer to Jackie Robinson, a player whose performance helped blaze a trail for the many dark-skinned Latin players who now make up such an important percentage of big leaguers. Uh, with his passing in 2015, he did not get to see the long, productive, and historically meaningful career get fully recognized by the Hall. His widow, Sharon Rice Mignoso, gave a speech on his behalf. Tony Oliva. I love watching this guy hit. It was fitting that the guy who idolized Mignoso and followed in his footsteps was formally inducted immediately after his Cuban countrymen. Before Oliva even took the stage, his induction had a heartwarming reunion. The twins arranged for Oliva's younger brother, Juan Carlos Oliva, who lives in Cuba, to obtain a visa so he could travel to Cooperstown to be there. The two had not seen each other in the United States since 2009. After immigrating from Cuba with the help of another younger brother's birth certificate, which he used to obtain a passport, and signing with the Twins in 1961, Tony Oliva became the first native of the island to win Rookie of the Year honors in 64. He went on to win three batting titles and lead the AL in hits five times, an eight-time All-Star. Like his former teammate Cott, Oliva had to patiently await his hall call after falling short 15 tries on the ballot of the sports writers. But mere days after turning 84, he finally got his moment. Says he was happy. I was thinking that was my last bus. If I don't get into the Hall of Fame that time, it's all over for Tony. <laughs> I love the way he puts that. All right, what are we drinking? We're still drinking rye. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Gil Hodges. The best word to describe Hodges in terms of baseball is winner. He won a player as a player, as a manager. He was an eight-time All-Star, 18-year playing career as first baseman for the Dodgers and Mets, won three gold gloves, led the Dodgers to seven NL pennants and two World Series titles. And when he retired in 1963 as a player, his 370 career homers, third most by a right-handed hitter. Then Hodges turned his sights to managing. After five years with the Senators, he took over a Mets team that had never won more than 66 games and turned it into a World Series champion during the Miracle Mets season of 1969. A sudden heart attack in 1972 took Hodges' life at the too young age of 47. I think it was his second heart attack. He had had one like a year or two before. One of them was here in Atlanta. His uh, highest voting percentage by the writers was just 63% in his final year back in 1983, but the Golden Days era committee got him in this year. His daughter, Irene Hodges, did the induction speech. She made sure the crowd got to know her dad, just not as a winning player manager, but as a man of integrity, a man who served in the Marine Corps at the Battle of Okinawa and who imparted important lessons on his children and his players. More important, she cited his welcoming relationship with Jackie Robinson at a time when few white players were willing to treat Robinson with the dignity he deserved. She says, Nothing was more important to my dad than giving Jackie all of his support. We were like family with the Robinsons. Jackie's kids played in our house. We played in theirs. My dad had an open heart for Jackie. They were close until the day my dad passed. On the day of my father's funeral, Jackie cried uncontrollably, saying, Next to my son's death, 
This is the worst day of my life. Buck O'Neill. You've heard me talk and wax poetic about Buck's, Buck O'Neill in the past. Probably the most dignified and nicest gentleman I have ever met. And I only met him for a few hours. But the second I opened that door that morning, it was just me at the radio station, WGST. It was a Saturday or Sunday morning uh, getting ready for um, finishing the news and getting ready for Jack Kennedy's and uh, the late Jack Kennedy and Keith Collins sports show. And they were having Buck O'Neill and Ken Burns in because Burns had just done his baseball documentary. And uh, Buck O'Neill was the breakout star from that, doing the, a lot of voiceover and interviews. And I looked out the keyhole. and was like, well, I don't know who this is. And whoever they are, they're early. But what the hell? I'll open up the door. And he goes, hello, son. I said, I'm Buck O'Neill. I'm here for the show. I said, well, come on in, Mr. O'Neill. And we came in, and he put his arm around my shoulder. Didn't know me from Jack Rabbit put his arm around my shoulder as we walked up the hall and says, tell me about yourself, son. How are you doing today? And it was just a pleasure knowing that man. Uh, one of the greatest speeches in Duction Day history was O'Neill honoring of the Negro League greats elected in the class of 2006. That O'Neill, who had an outsized role as a Negro League's ambassador, in addition to his influential career as a player, manager, scout, and the first black ALNL coach, was not selected as part of that class, was a source of great contention and consternation. But Buck, as he had lovely known, had not only the grace to shake off the snub, but the personality to master the moment. The 92-year-old had every person in the crowd, even the Hall of Famers out there, hold hands with the person next to them, and then saying, the greatest thing in all my life is loving you. Sadly, O'Neill passed away just a few months later. He did not get to live to see his rightful induction into the hall, but he left behind no shortage of people who loved him, including his niece, Dr. Angela Terry, who spoke on his behalf. For those of us who knew Uncle John, can't you hear him excitedly voicing one of his favorite phrases, man, oh man, nothing could be better. Our Uncle John was a man for all seasons whose core was brotherly love. And David Ortiz, 10-time All-Star, he owned October, flair for the dramatic and big moments. Uh, the ceremony began with a performance of the Star-Spangled Banner by Ortiz's daughter, Alex. Certainly qualified as a big moment in the 46-year-old's life. He had admitted to a rare bout of nervousness before delivering the speech. But as usual, he crushed it. A speech in both English and Spanish that drew big cheers from the crowd. Had a lot of people from his native Dominican Republic. This game is so important here in America and around the world. Thank you for all the support you've given baseball as a sport. So that it continues to be part of our culture and part of the heart of all fans worldwide. He finished his career at 286, 380, and 552 slash line, 541 homers, which is 17th all-time, 632 doubles, 12th all-time, 1,768 RBIs, 23rd all-time, 2,472 hits, and 1,319 walks. That's tied for 41st all-time. He had 10 seasons of at least 100 RBIs, finished in the top five in the AL MVP voting in five straight seasons, led the majors in OPS at 1.021 in his final season at age 40 in 2016. A lot of people saying he doesn't belong in there. You are wrong. The Ortiz will be remembered most for his performance in the postseason. Helped Boston break the so-called curse of the Bambino in 04. Went 12 for 31 with three homers, 11 RBIs, and the walk-off RBIs in two games in the epic seven-game ALCS against the Yankees. Also a key figure in title runs in 07 and 13, helping to heal Boston's broken heart after the marathon bombings. Remember what he said when you're out there, this is our effing city. Few players in baseball history meant more to an organization and a city than Ortiz did in his 14 seasons with the Red Sox. So that's the guys who went in the Hall of Fame. All of them, deservedly so. 
just like Ron Santo, Buck O'Neill deserved to go in before he died. How, how anybody, anyone, the sports writers and the people on those committees could have looked at that card and said, nah, he didn't belong in. I'd like to question every one of them. What the were you thinking? Anyway, XFL, yeah, they're still around. Uh, on Sunday, they announced eight teams for its rebooted spring football league. Uh, let's see, they tried this back in 2020. Just like us, they tried to start a, um, shall we say, a business in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, the cities will be Arlington. Okay, now is that Arlington, Texas, or is that Arlington, Virginia? Okay, Houston, Las Vegas, Orlando, St. Louis, San Antonio, Seattle. Oh, Washington, D.C. So I guess it's Arlington, Texas, and Washington, D.C. The XFL will kick off February 18th next year, the weekend after the Super Bowl, and broadcast on ESPN. Uh, Let's see. They filed for bankruptcy two years ago. (laughs) Atlanta once again passed over. How will we ever recover? Maybe we can make it up by getting an expansion professional badminton team. NASCAR news. The siren at the Dawsonville, Georgia pool hall that sounds whenever Chase Elliott wins a race did indeed go off Sunday night without the hometown star ever leading a lap at Pocono. Winner, winner, Joe Gibbs Racing are cheaters, the Dawsonville pool room tweeted. In an extraordinary decision for a NASCAR Cup Series race, Joe Gibbs Racing driver Denny Hamlin had his Pocono Raceway win thrown out and runner-up and teammate Cal Busch also disqualified after their Toyotas failed inspections. Elliott shot up from third place, and the Hendrick Motorsports driver was awarded his fourth victory of the year. He never led a lap in his number nine Chevrolet. Uh, His car also inspected by NASCAR, so they're not playing favorites here. Hamlin lost his record seventh victory at Pocono in his third win of the season. Bush led a race-high 63 laps. Now we know why. NASCAR believed the last time it disqualified an apparent winner was April 17, 1960 when Emmanuel Zervakis' victory at Wilson Speedway in North Carolina was thrown out because of an oversized fuel tank. If you're going to cheat, cheat big. One of the best decisions I ever made was, was putting the extra fuel tank on. Always do that, especially nowadays. On this day, July 25th, 1940, American John Sigmund began swimming for 89 hours, 46 minutes. What do you do, go around a pool? No. From St. Louis to Carothersville, Missouri, on the Miss no in the Mississippi River, 292 miles, the longest solo swim of all time. Let me remind you, there are alligators. Let's see. Yeah, it's summer. There are alligators in the Mississippi River. There are also bull sharks. They have found bull sharks, which can go in fresh and salt water, and they eat you. Bull sharks. If you watch Shark Week, they're all over. They showed. They have caught a bull shark somewhere up near Alton, Illinois, which is by the confluence of the Ohio and Mississippi rivers. That's how far north the bull sharks have been caught. All right. This idiot swam with them. Uh, 1999, British senior open men's golf. Who cares, senior? Why do you like put that in there? Uh, Let's go to birthdays you share with these uh, retrobates. Reprobates. It sounds better as retrobates, doesn't it? That's when you're a reprobate in the past, retrobate. 1914, Woody Strode. He was a football player for the L.A. Rams and Calgary Stampeders, and he was an actor. He was in the movie Posse, that's P-O-S-S-E, and that was not a Ron Jeremy film. He was also in Cotton Club, Vigilante, Scream, and other I'm sure if you look him up, Woody Strobe, you'll know, hey, I know that guy. Woody Strode, I'm sorry. Born in L.A., he died in 1994. 1926, Whitey Lockman, 
Baseball player born in Lowell, North Carolina, died in 2009. 1935, Larry Sherry, pitcher, won a World Series MVP in 1959 for the L.A. Dodgers, born in Los Angeles, died in 2006. 1941, Nate Thurman, Hall of Fame forward, seven-time All-Star in the NBA, born in Akron, died in 2016. Uh, 1954, Walter Payton, uh, Hall of Fame running back, was the NFL MVP in 77, nine-time Pro Bowler for the Bears, born in Columbia, Mississippi, died in 1999. 1962, Doug Drabeck, Braves fans remember him as a pirate. Uh, NL Cy Young Award in 1990, born in Victoria, Texas. Thank you, Doug Drabeck, for running out of gas in 1992. 1971, Billy Wagner should be in the Hall of Fame, Astros and Braves and other teams, born in Tannersville, Virginia. In 2001, Bryce Young, football quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy last year at the University of Alabama, born in Pasadena, California. Dead people on this day. I'm going to take a sip here in, in respect. Uh, hopefully you won't share a day with these people. July 20, what the hell's today? What did I say earlier? Oh, the 25th, July 25th. Uh, Ted Lyons passed away in 1986. Hall of Fame pitcher, was an all-star back in the 1930s, was the AL wins leader in 1925 and 27, uh, was the uh, ERA leader in 42, had a no-hitter in 26 for the White Sox. He also managed them in the 20s. Died at 85, 1920s. He wasn't 20 when he managed him. 1997, Ben Hogan, golfer, nine-time major title winner, won the Masters in 1951 and 53, dead of a stroke at 84. He was his final stroke. 2005, Eddie Crook Jr., boxer, Olympic gold middleweight champion in 1960 for America, dead at the age of 76. 2015, we lost Bob Kaufman, NBA basketball forward from the 60s and 70s, three-time All-Star with the Buffalo Braves and three other teams. He's also the coach in the 70s for the Pistons, dead of heart failure with 60, excuse me, 69. That breakfast burrito was barking there. Now, 2020, Maurice Petty, auto racing crew chief, engine builder, and team owner of Petty Enterprises, uh, Hall of Famer, dead at the age of 81. And in 2020, Lou Henson died, the College Basketball Hall of Fame coach, the all-time leader in victories at Illinois and New Mexico State, died of lymphoma. He was 88. July 25th wedding, 1, 1986. Four-time Grand Slam winning tennis player Hannah Manlikova was 24 when she married restaurateur Jan Sedlik at Prague's Old Town Hall. That was Prague, Mississippi. No, actually not Prague. Prague. Is Prague in the Czech Republic or Slovakia? I, well, let's ask. Alexa, what country is Prague in? Prague is a city in the Czech Republic. Thank did you. For, your it sure did. Thank you very much. Thanks for your feedback. No, thank you. Uh, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. All right, we already did that. Let me check the Pete's tweets here. Come on. Come on. There we go. John Corey Walsh tweeted the uh, Wikipedia biography of a soccer player named Kevin Lasagna. Here's how they describe him. A tall and quick left-footed forward, Lasagna's natural role is that of a main striker in the center. Lasagna has many layers to his game. Okay. (laughs) Oh, there's a great meme. I'm not going to say it. I'll just keep moving. Who the hell is this person? Anyway, someone's calling me. I don't even know who it is. Phil Nevin, the Angels manager, said a bad word the other night. Did you see that? After Otani hit that home run, 
he, Nevin was screaming at the umpire, and he said the F word, and Paul Bird was funny. He goes, well, Nevin's still not happy. And he's right. Do, 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 do. Let me go. Shark Week. Oh, speaking of Shark Week, every year sharks kill 10 people. Every year 100 people die from being stepped on by cows. Cow Week, coming soon to Discovery Channel. Da, 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 da. All right, Barrett Sally of CBSSports.com has uh, gotten the anger of a guy named Go Buckeyes on Twitter. He said, SEC equals Bama. The rest are tagging along. So Barrett pointed out that in 2019, LSU won the national champion. In 2020, Alabama won. And in 2021, it was Georgia. So let's say in the last three years, in the last three years, three SEC different teams have won the national championship. Let's try and think back in the last few decades how many Big Ten teams have won the Ohio State? Not only are the rest of the Big Ten not, as they say, tagging along with the leader, the Buckeyes, they're just floating along. They're like flotsam and jetsam behind. In fact, that's what the Big Ten should name their two divisions, flotsam and jetsam, and have Ohio State just look in the middle and looking at both of them going, uh, just shaking their head. Big Ten. Is there any more dysfunctional and delusional people in this world than Big Ten fans. Just kidding. I have some friends who are Big Ten fans, but still. I, I like Indiana, which is really stupid of me. Uh, it's because Jeremy, like uh, the great late Jeremy Ferguson, was from Indiana, so I have, I have to follow. Anyway, what else we got here? Dun, 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 dun. Ah, that seems to be it for that. Let's go to this date in baseball history, July 25th, 1908. In a confrontation of future inaugural Hall of Famers, Honus Wagner goes 5-for-5 five five off New York Giants starter Christy Matheson, and the Pirates win over the Gents in front of an overflow crowd of 30,000 at the Polo Grounds. The Pittsburgh shortstop holds up a finger after each hit. Uh, he holds the finger up to New York right fielder Mike Donlin, the hitless player he passes to take over the National League batting lead. Wow. And Victor Robles is doing something new? Uh, 1926, Braves coach Art Devlin and Reds third baseman Babe Pinelli brawl between innings. Police restore order, but Boston outfitter Frank Wilson is arrested, taken to jail for hitting a police officer. <laughs> uh, in the fourth inning, a collision at the plate between Boston outfitter Jimmy Welsh and Reds catcher Val Pacinich starts round two. No video, I'm afraid. 1941, on his third try, Lefty Grove becomes the sixth pitcher in Major League history since 1901 to earn his 300th victory. The 41-year-old uh, Red Sox lefty joins Cy Young, Walter Johnson, Matthewson, Grover Cleveland Alexander, and Eddie Plank. Uh, let's see. It was uh, He gave up 12 hits in his last victory in the big leagues. 1955, Joe DiMaggio retired after 13 years with the Yankees with a 325 batting average, inducted into the Hall of Fame. They called him the greatest living ball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, whatever. Let's see. What, wasn't Willie Mays alive at the time? Just saying. Hank Aaron. Anyway. July 25th, 1962 at Sportsman's Park. Stan Musial surpassed Giants legend Mel Ott as the NL's all-time RBI leader. A two-run homer off Don Drysdale in a loss to the Dodgers. 
gave him 862 career runs batted in with the Redbirds. 1966, Red Sox outfitter Ted Williams, in his first year of eligibility, and skipper Casey Stingle, selected by the Veterans Committee, enshrined in the Hall of Fame. During his speech, the splendid splinter made a strong appeal for the inclusion of Negro League stars at Cooperstown. It would take several more years before that happens. 1967, the White Sox become the second major league team in history to win a doubleheader with a two walk-off homers. They sweep the Indians. Uh, J.C. Martin and Ken Berry got the uh, homers. Uh, okay, let's move. Oh, in 1962, the Mets were the first team to do it with Hobie Landreth and Gil Hodges going deep. 1972 at Atlanta Stadium, Red second baseman Joe Morgan's single scores Nate Colbert of the Padres in the bottom of the 10th inning to give the National League a 4-3 walk-off All-Star Game victory over the junior circuit. The NL has won all seven of the extra inning Midsummer Classics contest up until that point. I don't know if it's been there ever since. Now, you may ask yourself, self, was Pete at that game? No, but my dad was there. I was watching the game on a little TV in a mobile home in Lake Hamilton, not in Lake Hamilton, but next to Lake Hamilton, which is right outside of Hot Springs, Arkansas. As my grandparents, they had a, a second little lake home over there. They lived in Little Rock, but they had a second home over there in Hot Springs, a mobile, mobile trailer. And we go over there, and we were watching the game on that little TV that night. Anyway, it's one of my memories. Let's see here. Same grandmother that turned me on to listening to baseball games at night on my transistor radio. July 25th, 1974, in his managerial debut with the club, Clyde King guides the Braves to a 1-0 extra-inning victory over San Diego. The former Giants skipper, replaced the recently dismissed Eddie Matthews, finishes the season 38-25, but the team fires the guy next year. In August, the team was mired in fifth place in the NL West. 1977, Pete Rose became the all-time hit leader among switch hitters. He got his 2,881st hit, a fourth-inning single of Pete Falcone, and the Reds lost to St. Louis at Bush Stadium. Pete Falcone, later a brave. Frankie Frisch, infielder known as the Fordham Flash, had established the record a half-century before playing with the Giants and Cardinals. 1978, the next year, Pete Rose's uh, single at Shea Stadium off uh, Mets righty Craig Swan establishes the National League record for hits in consecutive games. Safely in 38, breaking Tommy Holmes's mark as a member of the Boston Braves back in 1945. Uh, July 25th, 1990, Roseanne Barr, the star of the hit TV show whose executive producer was the Padres' owner, Tom Werner, sings an irreverent and widely criticized rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. She uh, screeches, spits, and grabs her crotch uh, as, as if she's adjusting a cup. After singing the national anthem, President George H.W. Bush called it a disgraceful. Kind of like the fact that ABC fired her from her namesake show because she dared say something they didn't like. And you look back at what she said now, Probably wasn't the smartest thing, but kind of mild compared to other stuff that's been set. 1990, after having a commanding 9-0 lead and still ahead 10-3 entering the bottom of the ninth, the Mets barely hold on to beat the Phillies 10-9 uh, in Veterans Stadium. The nail-biter causes the usually even-mannered Bob Murphy to use a mild obscenity in his call to the final out. They win the damn thing by a score of 10-9. 1998. I know that didn't sound anything about Bob Murphy. 1998, the Yankees dedicate a plaque in the memory of Mel Allen, who died of a heart attack two years, a heart failure two years ago at the age of 83. The Monument Park tablet calls their longtime play-by-play -play announcer a Yankee institution, a national treasure, and includes his signature line, how about that? 
even though I think Steinbrenner fired him. July 25th, 1998, after getting an invitation from the team to participate in Old Timers Day, Jim Bouton returns to Yankee Stadium for the first time in nearly 30 years. The right-hander's banishment, believed to be the result of having written his controversial book, Ball Four, the greatest sports book ever written, ends when his son Michael writes an open letter to the New York Times printed on Father's Day, urging the franchise to reconsider their decision about his dad, who is still grieving about the loss of his daughter Lori in a car crash last August. And uh, I wish I had kept the recording of when I interviewed Jim Bouton that time. Mm. Uh, 1999, the Hall of Fame adds an unprecedented number of first-time eligible candidates when George Brett, Nolan Ryan, and Robin Yount enter Cooperstown. Other inductees of the Veterans Committee, Orlando Cepeda, Nestor Chilak, umpire, Frank Salee, and Smokey Joe Williams. 2004, Paul Molitor, member of the 3000 Hit Club, and Dennis Eckersley appeared in the most games of any Hall of Fame pitcher, 1,071, are inducted in the Hall of Fame. 2010, Andre Dawson, an outfielder with the Expos and Cubs, the 203rd player inducted, joining Hawk and Cooperstown, former manager Whitey Herzog, Major League ump Doug Harvey, broadcaster John Miller, and baseball writer Bill Madden. July 25th, 2010, Chris Coglin, who probably, I think he went to Ole Miss and had a good career ahead of him, seriously injures himself when he tries to smash a shaving cream pie in Wes Helms' face after his teammate hit a single to give the Marlins a 5-4 walk-off victory over Atlanta. Helms actually had played for Atlanta for a while. The 2009 NL Rookie of the Year, Coughlin, will go on the disabled list with a torn meniscus in his left knee and will miss the remainder of the season. Is it Coughlin or Coughlin? can't remember. 2010, the Baseball Hall of Fame honors John Fogarty for his classic rock song, Centerfield, which has been played one million times too many times. Uh, let's see. He performs the hit from 1985, donates his baseball bat-shaped guitar to the museum in Cooperstown. Thank you to Saturday Down South, ESPN, On This Day, National Pastime, SI, Larry Brown Sports, Anthony Castro Vince of MLB.com, and everybody else who helped me put this together. I really do appreciate that. This lovely, by the way, get your T-shirts at FarmhousePrintingCo.com. All right, just the other day, I swear, a minute after I finished and posted it on Friday, a gentleman wrote me on Twitter or Facebook and said, literally a minute ago, the Braves announced that Dwight Smith had died. Dwight Smith was only 58. I, I don't know um, his cause of death at this moment. I think he died Friday morning or something. Dwight Smith came up with the Cubs with Jerome Walton. They were rookies. And I remember thinking, these guys are going to be roaming the Cubs outfield for the next 10, 15 years. It didn't work out that way. Dwight Smith became a pretty good uh, platoon player, bench guy, starter every now and then, and a good pinch hitter. Was part of the Braves' 1995 World Series team and a pretty good guy. Dwight Smith was a very good interview and very good guy. And uh, our condolences out to his family for passing on. Let's see. Twitter, Twitter. Okay, here we go. I found it. I found it right here. And da, 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 da. I'm not seeing anything jumping out here. Let's see. Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. Travis Darno on losing Adam Duvall. That's a tough loss, man. He's such a big part of this clubhouse, especially on the field. He keeps everybody in great moods all the time. Obviously, he's a stellar baseball player, too. It's a big loss. He told that to David O'Brien. Hmm. Oh, it's National Ice Cream Month. I didn't know that. Hmm. Okay, let's check over to ESPN if there's a headline here. 
Don't you love how I narrate this rather boring part of the show? Do not think about this part when you're thinking about going on Patreon and sending a cheeseburger a month. Why is ESPN doing the little funny spinning wheel of death here? Why are they taunting me, ESPN? Let me close everything else and go back to it. Now, watch it. There'll be some huge story. Here we go. The Celtics are trying to trade for Kevin Durant. Well, that's all they need. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, the Mint Condition 1952 Mickey Mantle card is about to set an auction record. We'll see what it is. I'll tell you on Wednesday, the good Lord willing. Everybody have a great couple days. It's beautiful. It's only 88 today. Get out and enjoy it if you're around Atlanta. And uh, drink up, Shriners. <laughs>